She found her courage, and by faith, they found their destiny. Great line. It's a movie about Esther, who is our heroine today. We're looking at the heroes that God lifts up in our lives and how God speaks to ordinary people in extraordinary ways by the power of the Spirit. So we're looking at this here. One of the things I loved about this movie, and if you haven't seen it, rent it, maybe not all at once, but rent it uh, today, One Night with the King. It's a story about a woman who didn't expect that God would use her in the way that he did, and he ended up using her to change the entire history of the world. If you're here for the first time today, we welcome you and say that this is Highlands Church. It's a family of faith. My brother Jamie wore a kilt last week. I played the bagpipes, so you never know what's going to happen here. By the way, some woman said when she was listening to my sermon last week, she said, uh, how are we going to get that old windbag to be quiet? And um, her husband said, I like the bagpipes. And she said, no, I was talking about the sermon. So, you know, it's hot air one way or another. But by the way, please keep sending me your emails with lots of ideas, fun stuff. This is what a couple of people wrote about the bagpipes this last week. Why do bagpipers walk when they play, someone said, because they want to get away from the noise. You ever wonder about that? What's the difference between a, a bagpipe and a trampoline? You take off your shoes when you tramp- jump in the trampoline, but not the bagpipes. This one was kind of fun. How do you tell a bagpiper with perfect pitch? He can throw his bagpipes a total distance into the lake. So... If you've played the bagpipes or ever heard someone practice them, you know what that means. Well, we are on our third week of our series called Heroes. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at our hero, St. Stephen. If you'd have called him St. Stephen, though, he wouldn't know who you were talking to. He was Steve. Steve gave his faith. He talked about his faith, and he died for his faith. But he kept it simple. The Holy Spirit was with him. The paraclete, the one who picks up the bundles when we drop them. But the amazing thing is with Steve is he didn't know who was listening. He thought it was a total waste. He gave his life up. But a man named Saul was listening, and Saul became Paul. You never know who's listening when you share your faith. And then last week, we looked at the castaway named John, who was on the island of Patmos. We saw how John was a voice for God because he listened to God, and he listened to him in a castaway place. And we saw that God speaks loudest to people in castaway places. You might be in a castaway place today. Many people are in this country right now. God will speak a vision of hope and transformation in your castaway place. He will also always tell you four words, and he'll begin with this, do not be afraid. Well, today we are looking at our heroine. Her name is Esther. I don't know if you've noticed women have been prominent in the news recently. There have been a lot of local heroes. One person we lift up today is Sergeant, on this Veterans Day Sunday, Sergeant Kimberly Munley. Did you hear her story? Kimberly Munley was down there in Fort Hood, and she was the woman who stood up against this lone gunman, and she struck down, she dug down deep, she reached into herself, and she did what she needed to do, and because she laid her life on the line, literally she took three or four bullets by this gunman, she took down the gunman, and she saved a lot of people from dying. That's a great transition into Esther today. Esther also laid down her life. She didn't actually die, but her chances of dying were like 99 to 1. Her chances of actually being killed by this man named Xerxes. That's how we begin. Xerxes is the king of Persia. You have to love a guy who has two X's and a Z in his name, Xerxes. Xerxes is the king of this huge empire. You can see the Persian empire lasts, goes all the way from Africa to India. It's a huge landmass, one of the great empires. Now, Xerxes was not a man you wanted to cross. He was a guy that if he just felt like he didn't like you that day, he would kill you. He killed his first wife named named Vashti, just killed her. So he decided for his second wife that he would have a beauty competition. 
And he wanted the most beautiful woman in the entire country. And so he did a Miss Universe competition. And Miss Africa applied. Miss India applied. But the person who won the beauty competition came from a very tiny little place, smaller than the state of Rhode Island, to the country of Israel. Now, when she won this competition, she couldn't say who she was. She couldn't say that she was Jewish. She couldn't say that she had the same faith as Abraham and Moses because the king of Persia was trying to kill Jews. And so she lived in this undercover world. She went undercover for God. That's what we're going to talk about today, being undercover for God. It isn't just Esther who's undercover for God. It's also us at times in our lives by necessity. Let's listen. Now, her cousin is a man named Mordecai, and he's typical of many family people. They give you sort of on the one hand advice and on the other hand. I always love that kind of advice. It never helps me one bit. (laughs) Let's listen to what Mordecai says to Esther about standing up for her people. Mordecai says this, Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone and all the Jews will escape. Don't think because you're a pretty face in the queen of Persia that you will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Let somebody else lay it down. And here it says, On the other hand, and But who knows? Maybe you have come to a royal position just for a time, just as this. Thanks, Mordecai. But Esther knows that this is her moment. This is her moment to lay it down. And so Esther says this to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, a million some odd people, and fast for me. Again, the word fast really means deep prayer here. Pray for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I my, and my maids will do the same. When this is done, I will go to the king, and even though it is against the law for me to go to the king, that's how tough Xerxes was. He didn't even want his own wife to come. She said that famous line we saw in the video, and I will perish if I must perish. And if I perish, I will perish. That's what Kimberly Munley said. If I die, I will die. But this is my moment. So she walks into this palace. If you've been to Hearst Castle, you know something about what it might have looked like, this great hall with this great dining room. Then she walked into another room, and there in the back in the dark corner is this foreboding thonic king by the name of Xerxes. She has already broken the law by coming into the palace. And Xerxes says in this deep, ominous voice, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom will be given to you. She's obviously caught him on a good day. This is like the daughter who goes to the dad and says, can I have the car keys? And he says, yes. And she says, it's time to ask for the credit card. But then she says, well, if it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king and Haman, who is trying to kill the Jews, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, said the king, so that we may do as Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine, having a wonderful banquet, like night on the town, elegant evening, the king asked Esther again, now, my dear, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Now, this is the amazing thing. Esther has discernment. She actually realizes this is not the moment. Christians need more of this, a sense of knowing exactly the moment and when it's not the moment. So she lets it pass. She says, well, why don't you come back tomorrow night for another dinner? So she invites Xerxes and Haman back for another banquet. And there Xerxes asks her the same question. He says, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted to you. Now this is, this 
is Esther's moment. All of us have one or two moments in our life when this is our moment we must stake. Jerry Lee just made one of them today. It's just the moment that we must stake for our faith. And so she digs down deep. Now, the offer is her petition or half the kingdom. (laughs) Must have been so tempting to go for half the kingdom. But she decided to reveal that she was Jewish to her husband for the first time, which would mean instant death. And then she decides for something more, to ask for a million or two million people's lives. So she says that. She says, O king, if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And and spare my people. There must have been a long pause from this dark king. He said, what you wish, I I will do. I will save the Jewish people, Esther. And that's what happened. Millions and millions and millions of Jews' lives were saved because Esther struck down. But she lived undercover for a long time before that. She was undercover for her faith. Sometimes when we read these stories from the Bible, we think, she's a queen. I'm so different from her in my life. But honestly, most of us have the similar experiences. We actually, most of us, are undercover at some part of your life. Even I, as a pastor, have to be undercover for God in certain circumstances. I have a friend who's a principal. Richard Blowers used to be a principal of a high school, and he worked for 30 years in the high school. And he'd have people come to him and say, well, you know, Mr. Blowers, what shall I do? Would you pray for me? And he would have to be undercover for God. He couldn't just pray for them in that situation. He was like Esther. I have, a, I have another friend who works in Hollywood, and uh, he's a movie director in Hollywood, and he just says, you know, I'm a great Christ follower, but there are so many people who are not of the faith, and I can't just share my faith with them. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't be the right moment. It, w- it wouldn't, I would probably be fired. Another person I know is a, is a politician who goes to this church, a woman, a nice woman. She, she's a Christ follower, but she lives in a world which is opposite from God a lot of the times, and she can't actually lay down her faith whenever she wants to. She has to be undercover like Esther for God. I know of a woman who goes to this church, a dear, sweet soul. She's been a Christ follower her whole life. Her husband is not a Christ follower. And so she lives this undercover relationship. Now, she's tried so many times to share her faith, this deep sense of knowing with her husband. But every time she does, it ends in a huge argument, and she's just decided to live undercover for God. Many of you will have Thanksgiving in two weeks, and you will have friends and family at your table, just as I do, who are not Christ followers. And you'll come to that moment right before the dinner where there will be, where, will there be a prayer or not? And you'll have to figure out whether that's your moment. And you'll be undercover for God. Now, most pastors over the years, most churches have said that whenever you have an opportunity, you should just drive it home for God. Whenever you have an opportunity, you should just lay it down any chance you get. But I want to offer something different today. I want us to think about Esther being undercover for God, still having a faith, and then finding that moment and seizing it. And then we'll talk about how that happens. I, I am terrible at this, by the way. I, uh, I am always the one who says something when I shouldn't, and I say the wrong thing at the wrong time. It's just the way I'm wired. I, this has always been the case. When I was 19 years old, I got a chance to go to Washington, D.C. as an intern. Any of you guys out there want to be an intern in Washington, I'd encourage that. But I went out there and... Uh, I was a Christian, hardcore Christian, then I really wanted to just drive it home for God. This was my chance. I was in Washington, D.C. I was a very important intern. My job was to answer phones. That's what I did all day long, answer phones. 
But one, remember that summer of 1990, late fall of 1990, do you remember what was happening in the world? A great empire called the Persian Empire, now called Iraq, was moving to the southern border of Kuwait, and they were bringing all their troops. So I was the guy answering the phone, good morning, so-and-so's office, what can I do for you? And one guy from the Pentagon, you know these guys, it's usually pretty blank, pretty straightforward, we're coming in, we're bringing the brass in right away. Just not too long after that, a bunch of guys in uniforms with more metal hanging off of them than an auto body shop in Atascadero came walking through there. I've been working on that lame line all week. <laughs> they came into this little room. This is the situation room. And again, I'm a 19-year-old intern. But boy, I wanted to be a part of this thing. I didn't have the horn room glasses, but I should have. I wanted to just be a part of this. This was my chance. We were going to seize. I was going to raise my hand and say, what does God think? Should we do this? I raised my hand, but I knew that was the wrong thing to do. <laughs> you ever have that happen to you? You're in a faculty meeting and you raise your hand and you know that's the wrong thing to do. I raised my hand and I, I said, uh, what about the troop levels? They were like, who's he? I didn't know anything about troop levels. I thought it was something to do with Boy Scouts, you know. But the, moving went, the meeting went on. I had said the wrong thing at the wrong time. It did more harm than good. And I wasn't like Esther. I want to talk about how we actually live these undercover relationships with God in our lives. The first thing to remember is all great evangelism opportunities, all great evangelism movements begin as undercover operations. All of them do. I don't know if you know, Billy Graham is obviously a fiery preacher, still is. But back when he was like in his 20s, he was like fiery. He went into this small town and uh, he was going to give a fiery sermon that evening. But before that, he needed to go to the post office. So he went, you know, he found a little boy in this little town and the little boy said, well, uh, he said to the little boy, where's the post office? And the little guy said, well, you just go right, left, left, right, right, left, and then take another right. And Billy said, thank you. Well, he went on this little journey to find the post office and 20 minutes later, he still is lost looking for this thing. So he finds the little boy. You know how it is when you live in a small town, you see the same person two or three times during the day. Sees the little boy, and the little boy said, well, you just go right, left, right, left, and it's just right there. Now Billy's going to try the direct approach with him. He says, son, tonight I'm preaching in the chapel down the road. Why don't you come tonight, and I'm going to tell everybody how to get to heaven. Well, said the kid, I'm not coming tonight. Well, why not, said Billy. Well, said the kid, you don't even know how to get to the post office. (laughs) It's a true story. Now, if the direct approach doesn't work for Billy Graham, what are our chances? It's the undercover approach that usually works the best. Do you know that every outreach thing that we've done here at this church is undercover? Everything. When we started back in the movie theaters, it was an undercover operation. I remember people saying to us, Graham, why don't you wear a robe there in the movie theater? Why don't we have a big pipe organ up front there? And let's have a big communion table and let's have some incense. Let's make it feel really churchy. I said, no, we're on an undercover operation Let's be undercover and look like we're a movie because our point is not to look like a church, but to bring people to Christ. And so for three years, we ran an undercover operation there. Don't tell anyone, but that's what it was. Not too long thereafter, we had a movie under the stars. Remember that first movie? We had an undercover operation in Riverbank neighborhood. It was, uh, it was a movie Narnia where we showed the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. We told them about C.S. Lewis. Why are you showing a free movie in a neighborhood in Riverbank? Because we want people to know who Aslan is. And Aslan's on the move. 
Not too long thereafter, we had a great snow attraction. Do you remember the Vine Street, Christmas on Vine Street? We brought in 10,000 pounds of snow, brought it up there. Most of these kids on the north side never seen snow in their lives. We brought in the snow. They said, well, why are you doing this? This has nothing to do with church. This is not a, you're not really delivering it. Well, Jamie and I had had a little conference before, and we realized that if we had stood on the front porch singing Oh Holy Night that night, we weren't going to get too many people involved in this thing. But those kids who were throwing snowballs came to our lawn, and they've been throwing footballs, and that's not so far from our front door here. I'll be honest with you. You know this campaign out here, this one-ton campaign? It's an undercover operation. We want to feed people who are hungry here. We want people who are hungry, and Jesus said that, feed the least of these. But we also want them to know who Jesus is. So our undercover operation is if we help them to feed their bellies, we can also maybe feed their hearts. And everything else we've done here, NFL flag football, do we care about football here? Well, yeah, we do. (laughs) But we also care about sharing about Jesus after that. Everything we've done, you know, Jesus ran an undercover operation. I'll throw some heavy theology stuff on you. In seminary, they used to call it the messianic secret. If you want to impress your friends, talk about the messianic secret. Now, the messianic secret is why for a three-year period, Jesus really never totally revealed that he was the son of God. Have you ever wondered that? People would ask him, well, are you the son of God? Are you God? Jesus would say, what do you think I am? Another time, another person would say, well, some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you're the God. Well, what do you think I am? It wasn't until Jesus hung up there on the cross that Jesus really revealed who he was and when he came back to life again. He had an undercover operation unlike anything that's ever been done. So in your undercover operation, whether you work in a gymnasium that you can't say what you believe, if you work in a winery where you really have to be careful what you say, you work in government, if you work at a Tasket or a hospital and you'll be fired for talking about faith, know that you're like Esther and you're running an undercover operation. Second thing is this, there does come a moment in all of our lives when we must seize that moment. There does come that moment. And we have to decide, like Esther, when to lay it down and when not to. One of my favorite commercials is a commercial on TV. It's a Mercedes-Benz commercial. And I love it because it shows a really expensive Mercedes crashing into a wall at 100 miles an hour. You can't beat that. That's great. But I love the tagline even more. It talks about airbag technology, how they're sharing airbag technology with competitors. And the subtext of that commercial is because some things are too important not to share. This thing that we have here, it's too important not to share at some point in our lives. So we have to decide. That's the discernment part. The Greek word for evangelism comes from the word euangelion. Would you say that with me? Euangelion. Literally, it's a combination of the word good news and messenger. So as good news messengers, we have to figure out the time to do it. Now, for me and for most people that I've talked to, it's like a layup to the basket. When God wants you to talk about this, he will give you a layup. You've been shooting a perimeter game the whole time. Maybe you've been shooting the basket from half court. You've had no shots at the basket. Maybe for 40 years, you've been living with your husband or your wife, no shots. But then God will give you a layup. And then all you've got to do is just walk up and lay it up. But you've got to do that. You have to seize the moment. One of the most powerful examples of this happened in World War II. A guy by the name of Martin Niemuller, 
who is now a pastor. He's a Lutheran pastor. Back in the day, he was a Nazi, and he was a friend of Adolf Hitler. And Martin Niemuller kicked himself his whole life long that he didn't take the layup. He didn't take the layup with Hitler. (laughs) See, every single night, Niemuller, after the war was over, he laid awake after he had this terrible nightmare. And the nightmare went like this. Adolf Hitler goes to the judgment seat at heaven, just like all of us will. And Adolf Hitler walks up to the judgment seat And Jesus comes down from the throne, about ready to tell Hitler that he's not going to the upper room. But before he does, Jesus, in all of his love, wraps his arm around Niemuller, uh, sorry, Hitler, and he says, Adolf, how could you have done such cruel things to so many people? And in Niemuller's nightmare, Adolf Hitler says, because nobody told me about Jesus. And Niemuller, for the rest of his life, kicked himself because he was his friend. He had so many layups with Adolf Hitler. True story. They'd be up in the Swiss Alps. They'd be up talking about this and that. And how many times Niemuller would have had a chance to say, Adolf, do you know that Jesus loves you so much that if you were the only person alive, even as bad as you are, he would come and save you. But he never did. You and I should not miss that opportunity. I'll just tell you, I have missed so many opportunities. I'm not happy about them, but I'll tell you about one of them. A layup God gave me when I was in college. I was working in a restaurant. I was a server. And those of you who came to the volunteer dinner know that I'm an awful server. So that's not my gift set. But, you know, the restaurant is closed. It's 1 a.m. And there's a dear, sweet girl there. We're chatting about this and that. And we talk about a friend of ours named Angie who's struggling. She says, Angie's really, really struggling. Yeah, I said, I know Angie's really in a hard place. She says, yeah, but I just wish there was something we could do for her. And I said, yeah, she seems like she needs Jesus. But I said it like in a glib way. Then Tiffany, that was her name, said to me, she does need Jesus. And she said, I need Jesus too. Would you tell me about Jesus? this is a layup. I mean, my daughter Haley could have put this thing in the basket (laughs) because she knows this. She's starting to learn, Jesus loves me, this I know. That would have done it. But I just let the basket go. But I tell you, I'm not going to let the next ones go and you shouldn't either. I'm just going to tell you quickly as I end how how to just hit the basket. I want you to forget all the manuals you've read about how to share your faith. I want you to forget all the sermons, all the points, all the little things you've got to work in there. It's easy, easy, easy. You just have to point. Point to the cross. Just point to the cross. One of the great evangelists today is a guy named Dale Bruner, who is a pastor in Southern California. He's a Bible teacher. Back in the day, he was with Campus Crusade. They used to go out in the street corners, still do sometimes, and they used to just tell people their faith. But Dale Brunner started out down there in Los Angeles trying to tell people his faith, and he was a total failure. He was on the street corner with all of his pamphlets and brochures, and nobody listened to him. He was trying the direct approach. Finally, he was so frustrated, he walked up to this Marine who was standing there, and he said, "Uh, do you know who Jesus is? And this Marine said, If you don't get the stink out of here, I'm going to pop you in the nose. 
Only he didn't use the word stink. Well, Dale got the stink out of there. But then he tried the undercover approach. He sat on a bus bench. And all day long, people came and went, came and went, came and went. Then he had this little voice in his ear that this might be the layup. So he starts talking to this guy, not about God. Starts talking about the Dodgers. Well, yeah, they're pretty good, except Maury Wills is stealing too many bases, but otherwise we're doing okay. And what about the smog? Oh, it's awful. This smog's terrible. But then he says, well, you know, I've been wondering, have you ever thought what happens to you after you die? The guy said, I have. I was thinking that just right now. Could you tell me what happens after I die? Well, Dale opened up his Bible and he started flipping through it and he's starting to think of what he should say and he can't come up with it, but he's at least there. The guy gets on the bus. I got to go anyway. Good to talk to you. I'm going to get one of those Bibles next time I'm around. See you later. He just pointed to the cross. You and I don't have to, don't have to win the game. It's not our job. All we do is point to the cross. It's one little layup. But we got to know when to do that. You know, if you read the book of Esther, it gives a whole lot of people credit for saving millions of Jews. It gives Mordecai credit. It gives Xerxes credit. But we all know here today, it was because of Esther. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this word. I thank you, as Jamie said, that it is thousands of years old that it transcends this day and this time. Lord, those of us who live in, in these places that are undercover for you, give us strength and courage to just keep going. Then, Lord, we do pray that you would give us that layup one day out of the blue. Help us to know when that moment is. And then, Lord, we only ask that you would help us to point to the cross. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.